This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Hello, and welcome to another World of UX podcast. This is your host, Darren Hood. Thanks for taking the time to join us on today. And as always, a special welcome to those of you joining us for the first time. Welcome. Glad to have you. And we are today, folks, I decided let's do a little bit more potpourri. Let's do something simple, quick, relatively, before we get back into what's a really heavy series. I I need a break from it. Uh, (laughs) Actually, I I looked at the list. Oh, no. Uh, and, And I felt a lot better about going in this direction today. So here we are. So the thing about this particular potpourri is that it's going to revolve a little bit around some questions that I've received from people. So a lot of times I respond in writing in social media. And when you respond on social media, you're limited in your space. I talk about that sometime. You, you can't say everything you'd like to say. So you can only, my strategy is that you end up addressing thing in bits and pieces. So on the show, I can I can actually address something with a little bit more detail. You still can't be completely exhaustive, especially if you have a ton of things to say about it. But at least I can say things and provide a little bit more color, a little bit more context, a little bit more breath than I can when I'm responding to somebody on social media. Even if sometimes I go back and forth with people in a in a private message. And those can actually get a little taxing at times. You still miss things because I'm still responding in uh, in, in snippets. And so I here on the show, I can address things a little bit more. And, and I actually had, I, I thought about a funny thing somebody said once. They were, they were talking about having a podcast and they were saying that I got a podcast and probably go hear this too. Uh, they say, I, 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 I got a podcast. It's not going to be like Darren's though. And, and, and some other people who heard that were sort of taken aback when they heard it. And somebody said, and you could see it in their face, you could hear it in their tone of voice. And they said, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, and, and you can tell when people are holding back. Um, some of us can anyway. And, and the person said, well, when I have my show, I won't be doing all the talking. And so we'll just freeze frame there for a bit. And this is not one of the topics, but I just wanted to address it uh, just because I know other people are thinking about it as well. I think it's really funny when you think about that, that the person they were, it was sort of like a, a backhanded insult a little bit. Darren talks too much on his show. If you can go and look at, I don't care whose podcast it is. And how many different episodes people have a podcast because they're going to talk. Um, and it's interesting that I actually refer to this as a, some people are not going to like this. But I'm going to say it anyway, somewhat of a racist perspective because the only people that folks want to stop talking a lot of times is people of color, minorities, women. They want us to stop talking. And, but they don't mind when the majority does a lot of talking. So I, I want to get that out there. And interestingly, I've been doing this work for 28 years. 
I didn't used to take credit for this much work, but when I went back and examined my history, I was doing it. Other people are lying. I did the work. So yeah, I'm going to take credit for it because I was doing it. And it doesn't matter what somebody else thinks. It doesn't matter what they agree with or what they don't agree with. We're not the prisoner of someone else's perceptions. None of us are. And and I certainly am not. So I'm not going to sit here and then go and restrict myself because of someone's perspective. That that That's pretty silly because it's not fair. It's not just. And it makes no sense. The person who said that has been doing UX for approximately eight eight years. And so, see, I've been doing it for 28. You've been doing it for eight. And on their show, they said they're just going to have people on their show and let them talk. And they're not going to talk at all. If that's the format somebody wants, that's fine. That is one of the many format types. And by the way, for a podcast can have a multitude of different approaches and formats. Each person does what they feel works best for them, what they're comfortable with, what they want to do. And everybody, it's their prerogative. Each podcast host, no matter what the topic, who they are, where they're recording or broadcasting from, everybody does what they want. But all of a sudden, when it comes to somebody like me, they want to like sort of put a restriction on it. So, uh, no, I don't pay attention to stuff like that from the perspective of I'm not going to give heed to it. I'm going to respond about it. And it's funny when you when you call people out for saying ridiculous things, they try to flip it and they try to make you the bad guy for for calling them out. But they never make themselves the bad guy for doing the thing that you that that, that somebody's being called out for. So, no, we're not doing that. Um, I, I, I love justice. I love integrity. And so I love ethics. And so we're responding from that perspective. And I'm giving those who are willing to engage in critical thinking, I will always empower you to be able to walk things out the best way possible, not just for you, not just for for me, but for everybody. So if you ever, somebody ever says something like that, please know that that's a silly statement. If if, when when those people have been doing UX for 28 years, and if they're still podcasting, guess who's going to start doing a lot of talking? So if some of these people, if they could talk for an an entire show or off and on, because I don't talk in every show, I have guests and we have conversations and everybody gets it and everybody's fine with that. But when somebody has been doing it for a while, they're going to talk. So I've got a lot to say. I I have a lot of things that I've observed and and people will say, yeah, because you sure are opinionated. I get that sometimes. Too, which is also another passive aggressive uh, slap, if you will, because it is, it's weird. People will say, you're opinionated. A person once told me, they said, you know, uh, sounds like you're preaching. But they didn't stop to find out whether or not what I was saying was true, because truth trumps everything. So is it true? Why is it that the people who embrace what's being said are all thriving? So I don't care about detractors. I don't care about trolls. I don't care about people who have an ax to grind. I don't care about people who have inferiority complexes. I don't sit there and worry about people who who have an EQ deficiency. Those kinds of people, all they do is leave destruction in their path. And so... We got to see them. We're going to interact with them. But it, it for all, if you're in a, in a boat like me sometimes, 
You have to reconcile what people do. In other words, you have to take the time to understand it and then understand what the right thing to do is and you go forward. Some people call that fortitude. So fortitude, I've been doing this podcast now for over three years and we keep going because of the fortitude and because we care about the community. So I'll never be detracted by people. It's funny. They say, well, that, that's what they, that's what I think. Well, but technically you didn't really think because if you were thinking, you wouldn't have said that, that not just have some fun with that. But no. Uh, so I, I want to share that with some folks, because when you hear things like that, it, it really it takes you aback initially when you hear it uh, in all honesty and in all transparency and all fairness. It's weird to hear things like that. But um, nevertheless, we, we go forward and we go forward with a sound mind and we go forward with no bitterness and we go forward maintaining the same focus and embracing the same goals that we had when we did our first episode. So just wanted to mention that. And, and that's it. I wanted to share a thank you. And this is, I'm not going to share the entire message, but just wanted to share with you to some of the sentiments that, that I get that people express with me. And I want to start sharing more than these, but a person or more of these, I should say, but a person said something and I just took a small excerpt and just wanted to share this. The person said, I wanted to directly thank you for your unflinchingly honest content on the world of UX podcast. So I thank you for taking the time to share that with me. Um, it's, it, it's nice to be understood and appreciated. I, I say that to people all the time, especially in light of all of the backlash that we get for talking about the things I talk about. And there's a lot of people, they want me to stop talking about what I'm talking about. They want me to talk about something else. And, and, uh, but Hey, if nobody talks about this stuff, then the siege that UX has been subjected to gains even more steam. I'm having some impact, and we know this for a fact. So we continue to move forward. We hope one day to be able to overturn the siege against UX uh, because it is violent, it is unjust, it is unethical, it is destructive, it is hurting the discipline. And anybody who cares about the discipline should not want to allow that stuff to just have free reign. Uh, we, we've got to we've got to stand against it. We got to enlighten people about different things. We got to give people a, the best chance possible for success. That's why I do what I do. I know a lot of other people who who have the same mindset. So I'm thankful for you folks as well. So let let's keep trying to take the discipline back, as we said in another episode recently. But I've got three questions. Three questions. So let's go ahead and just dive in. And some of them came from LinkedIn. Some of them were questions that came to me in a roundabout kind of way. And I actually shared them on social media. And I just don't get to speak to them at, at length, as I mentioned. So I wanted to just talk about these tonight. So it's probably going to be relatively quick, but we shall see. First question. There was a post that I had shared where I was talking about people who have inferiority complexes and are now trying to engage in what I call microwaved advancement, where they are trying to get ahead quickly, uh, unjustifiably, get ahead without doing anything. Uh, they These people now, another strategy that they have 
They know that people who have 15, 20, 25 years in the discipline do exist. I think I talked about last episode about the person that claimed that they said they've been doing UX for 10 years and 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 they said, I've been there since the beginning. For some reason, they think UX started 10 years ago. It's, it's of that same ilk, but it goes a step further than that. These people know that they don't have the experience of the 15 to 20, the 25-year UXer, feel like we are hurdles that they need to cross, but instead of getting qualified and following the same path that we did, they'd rather try to diminish, try to erase us, try to invalidate us. And so one of the things that they're doing now is there's this thing that keeps popping up and you'll see it on social media. I'm really shocked when I see it sometime because some of the people who are spreading it are people who've been doing it for 20, 25 years. People are taking aim now at the people with a lot of experience and and saying, you know, just because you have a lot of experience doesn't mean that you know uh, that you that you can do the work, that you can do a good job. Number one, that's a ludicrous statement. There's a lot of people that are lying about their experience levels. And so when you have people that lie, two things about this, when people lie about their experience levels and they don't do anything of note, or I know of situations where people have a ton of experience and have been placed in the wrong positions for whatever reason. And so they weren't, it wasn't going to work. It was doomed from the beginning. A lot of people love bringing experienced UXers on their teams and then setting them up for failure in line with what I'm talking about here for the express purpose of invalidating their skill set, invalidating our skill set. They want to make us look bad so that they can feel better. And that's that microwaved advancement that I'm talking about. So the question was, uh, I talked about evolution because some of these people, I, I talked to some of these people from time to time and the person, uh, one person in particular, uh, actually there's more than one person who said this recently, they made statements on the line of UX is evolving. It's not what it used to be. Somebody literally said that to me. And for some reason, they think that the evolution of UX means that things that we used to do are no longer relevant. That could not be further from the truth, any further from the truth. That is a, an absolutely asinine and ridiculous statement. If somebody thinks that that usability, heuristics, information architecture, and interaction design principles, for example, that those things mean nothing to UX work today, those that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to act like those things don't mean anything. So now you, they don't have to learn that, right? I mean, have Figma will travel. They don't need to know anything else. These people are doing this, but in particular, they, the, this person uh, heard me talking about this whole evolution thing and talking about how people are trying to get ahead by making us irrelevant, by making the the, the seniors at the highest higher end of the of the experience threshold, they're trying to make us irrelevant by trying to say that the skills we have nobody needs them anymore. Basically, and they say that UX has evolved beyond that. So a person asks, what do you mean when you speak against the evolution of UX? Because for some reason, and I think that's a great question in general, 
But I, I do have to address, I'd be remiss if I didn't address how that sometime I make a statement and people insert things or they hear me say something, but they hear something I didn't say. So folks have to make sure, make sure when you ask a question, make sure that you, or if you quote me, make sure that you are asking a question about what I said and not what you inserted. Uh, because I'm, I'm just going to say, hey, I didn't say that and then get us back on track. Because I, but I did love the question because the the question had to do with trying to clarify what's meant by evolution. And some people think that I'm saying that UX has not evolved. The, the fundamentals, which is what I said when I answered the person, the fundamentals are the fundamentals. They're not going anywhere. Anybody who truly wants to advance in UX in any discipline for that matter, there are always fundamentals that a person has to be grounded in. Anybody who's a practitioner that does not get grounded in fundamentals, again, it doesn't matter what the discipline is, and UX is no different. When a person does not get grounded in fundamentals you, and, and, and they think that they're advancing, that's a mirage. Anybody who does not have, if you got five years, but you're not well-rooted and grounded in fundamentals, you're going to need to double back. You've been doing UX for 10 years. I've seen people been doing UX for eight, nine 10, 12 years spew misinformation that let you know that they knew nothing. I know people have been doing UX for 10 years and know nothing about heuristics consciously because we actually all know something about heuristics. We don't know their heuristics, but we need to have a, a, a deliberate and conscious awareness of what we know about heuristics. Some people don't, but I've seen people, they, they speak things they shouldn't be speaking. They endorse things they shouldn't be endorsing. And, and that's hurting us. It's hurting all of us. But please, no one understand. We have, we've had our usability. We've had our heuristics. We've had our information architecture. And even in all these things, I mean, we didn't do tree tests in 2005. I don't, I didn't. And I don't know anybody else who did. I don't Tree tests started, started, I started seeing them more mainstream, roughly about, 2008, 2009, 2010, you start to see people talk about tree tests and doing tree tests, but you didn't see it. I, I would, I would meet people. I would go to events. You would go to con uh, to conferences. You would have conversations with people here and there, and nobody was talking about tree tests and card sorting. It wasn't really happening. So think of that as an evolutionary point, a milestone, if you will, that we started coming up with ways to take the things that we were doing and to do them with more, with more, how can we say we, we made, we made advancements. We took the fundamentals and, and we didn't leave the fundamentals, but we went forward and began to do things faster. We began, we began to spread our wings a little bit more with the way that we would do things. That's the kind of evolution that has happened. We didn't have, remote usability testing at one time. Everything was done in person. And so remote usability testing then became something. I mean, <laughs> you really think somebody did? I, I remember talking to somebody once who said that we didn't need remote usability testing tool because he had been doing design for 10 years and he never used it. But the guy who said that was a mainframe designer. D there was no remote usability testing for the digital folks for the people on the internet at, at a certain point in time. It certainly wasn't there for somebody who was designing mainframes.
But these are some of the advancements. Think When you think evolution, think advancements. What advancements, what things have we done? Because really, UX, the only things that have really changed, fully changed, wholesale changed about UX, related to UX, and I've said this before, are the mental models of the users and the form factors that we're applying the UX principles to. Beyond that, nothing's really changed. And UX is pervasive, so what you apply to a website Eventually, we applied it to a mobile app. Then we applied it to a mobile web experience. Then we applied those same principles to tablets. We started applying it to interactive TV. We started applying it to email marketing. We see, I mean, this goes on and on and on. What we were applying the principles to changed, but they were the same principles, and we got to see how they worked with a new form factor. That also was evolutionary but it was evolutionary in its application. It wasn't evolutionary so much so from a principal perspective. So, but it has evolved. Don't let anybody tell you I didn't, I don't see the evolution of UX. I do see it. But some of the things that people are calling evolution, and this is what I went on to explain, some of the things that people are calling evolution are not. They're not evolution at all. They're uh, somebody, I talked to a person recently and they said that, UX is changes. It's just always changing. It's changing all the time. Wow, really? And I looked at that person's LinkedIn profile. That person had been doing UX for t- for two years. So, how does a person who's been doing from UX for two for two years have a vantage point, any points of reference that that empower them to make a statement like that? They don't. And so people need to. And, and then they don't even want to hear. What people like me are saying, which is another reason why they're trying to shut us down, they're trying to silence us, they, they don't want us to talk at all, because they don't even want to consider it. There's this massive ostrich effect bias movement, where they're, they're bandwagoning on one side and they're ostrich affecting on the other. It's, it's a bias fest, and so only those who really commit to critical thinking are going to come out on top, are going to be victorious in the midst of these types of challenges, so... so I, I did not speak against the evolution of UX at all, but I will talk about what the evolution of UX really is, and I will call out things that people are calling evolution that are not evolution. Design thinking is not an evolution. Design design thinking is a bastardization. Call it what it is. Even the people who who were the forerunners and the creators said that they didn't even intend on that being what it became. And it wasn't like, oh, it turned out to be great. It wasn't one of those, one of those erroneous discoveries that a lot of, of inventions and a lot of, of advancements in process in our time were discovered by mistake. That's not what happened. These people were just trying to come up with something billable. And they took something we were already doing and slapped a new name on it. The people behind design thinking rebranded something that already existed and they got away with it because nobody told them no. We need to start telling people no when they come up and, and and do things that make no sense. We need to tell them. Too many people are trying to make a name for themselves instead of trying to just vault the discipline forward. They're putting themselves before the discipline. I refuse to do that, and I know a lot of other people who are operating the same way. So that's not evolution. So let's call evolution what it really is. Let's understand what it is and stop just just haphazardly slinging names and titles and words around. Isn't that odd? UX people, 
um, <laughs> mishandling nomenclature and taxonomies. That's pretty hypocritical and, and ironic, but it's happening. So uh, there's a hint of sinister in the midst of, of these things. I just realized that. So that was question number one. So what do I mean when a what do I mean when I speak against evolution UX? Well, I didn't. A, I didn't speak against it. And B, uh, we need to call evolution what is evolution and don't call things that are bastardizations evolu- evolution. They are not. And if we do, if we keep doing that, then that the we, we're enabling the siege and we need to stop doing that. Um, next question. What are your thoughts? And this was came from a social media post. What are your thoughts about pursuing a mobile first approach with design efforts. And this came up because of a, a Jacob Nielsen post that came out. And, and I just sort of chuckled when I saw it because some people, they're they're into hero worship, frankly. And I appreciate Jacob Nielsen and I love the work that he's done. I own, I think, every book he's ever written. I have them in my shelf, in the hallway, or on my Kindle. I've got all of them. I'll going all the way back to usability engineering. I've, I've got all of his stuff. Um, but... That one, when when that article came across my desk, so to speak, uh, my 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 desktop, and I just sort of chuckled because, see, I'm not Jacob Nielsen. I'm not as big as Jacob Nielsen. I never will be, nor do I want to be. But for years, I have been saying that ever since the book was written, Luke Robleski wrote the book Mobile First around about 2012, 2013 or so. And I was there when the iPhone came out. I was designing when the iPhone came out. I was designing apps and and the mobile web experiences and responsive. So I did all of the things. And one of the things that I noticed was people kept wondering, they were confused back then. What do we design for first? I'm confused. How do we proceed? And I'm thinking, as I mentioned, all we do is look at the principles we have and we we get an understanding. We were doing remote usability testing. We were doing in-person usability testing, trying to trying to make sure that we understood the heuristics associated with the mobile designs that we were engaging in. And what I found out was that as people kept saying mobile first, mobile first, and this, this is about the time that people start getting buzzword happy. They saw the phrase mobile first. A lot of the people who saw that did not read Luke Robleski's book. They took the title literally and they started designing for mobile sites first and then trying to jerry rig the desktop later. I have always talked about mobile also. So it's more of an inclusive mindset where if you know that there's going to be a mobile experience, then you need to make sure as you're designing for desktop. Make sure that what you're doing is presented in a scalable fashion that's going to deliver the optimal experience for people who are experiencing your solution, your product, your website, whatever it is. You need to make sure that that their experience is optimized. So you keep the mobile experience in mind, but you're not going to start with with mobile. That, That was a ludicrous proposition of people just run off with the title the way they did. My point is this, and why I said the thing, why I brought Nate Nielsen into this, because I've been talking about mobile also for years, but because I don't have a big name, what I said fell through the cracks. I say things on social media, five people like it. I say something on social media, 
you know, on a good day, uh, 20 people might like it. It, it. There's only certain things that get a lot of likes. So I say and produce a lot of things, but they just don't, they just don't go anywhere. People aren't going to see it. And so it, it, it's the kind of thing where you say something that you know it's right and you know people need to hear it, but I'm not going to ram it down anybody's throat. I'm not going to demand to be heard, but it, it is sort of, it's, it's a little frustrating. Uh, uh, frankly, it is to see somebody because they have a big name, then people act like the person just shed light, uh, in a dark space, in a dark cave somewhere. And you've been talking about mobile also for, for over a decade. So I, I just want to make sure that people understand that <laughs> why, I, why I said that. And mobile also is the way to go. One of these days people will recognize it and they'll see it for the value of the content and separate it from the person. And then when people start doing that, then, then maybe some of the things that I share will get more weight and we can have the impact we're trying to have in the discipline at large. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad that something was said, but, uh, you do feel sort of, you feel, (laughs) you feel a little abused when things like that happen. So mobile also folks, not, not mobile first, not mobile first. And this is not new. Uh, I'm glad what he said was said, but it's not new. I've been talking about it for years. And a lot of the people who want me to be quiet heard me say it and they, and and knew that it was right and knew that it was good, but they didn't want to give me credit. So, you know, it's a vicious world. The UX world is vicious, whether people want to face that or not. Third question, uh, continuing with Jacob Nielsen here for a moment. Jacob Nielsen has been, um, I got to say this the right way. There have been a lot of articles ascribed to Jacob Nielsen that have been circulating, especially over the last three months or so. There's been a massive uptick. And someone was asking, what do you think about all these articles? In particular, the one they asked me about more specifically was the one about the angst of UX. And and what do you think about the articles that Nielsen has been publishing? And I have to really, I I know some of them are probably going to hear me say this. Uh, I'm concerned. And I'm concerned because the volume of the posts I find interesting. The voice and tone I find interesting. The things, phrases that I've read, uh, something on the line of, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, I can't remember it exactly, and I don't have it in front of me, but there was a statement about how that the old guard gazing admirably at their belly buttons, something like that. If you if you go through the Angst of UX article, you will see it. I'm not gonna work, I'm not gonna bother looking it up to say it here. If you've read it, you know what I'm talking about. If you do come across it, you'll recognize what I'm talking about when you see it. But calling people who've been doing UX a, a while the old guard, that doesn't sound like something that somebody his age or someone of his temperament would do or say. I I, I, meant, I mentioned, I have old books of his. I know his voice and tone. Didn't sound like him. Matter of fact, uh, uh, some of those articles actually sound like, they sound like AI. Frankly, they sound like AI. Could he have published them? Could have. He could have used AI to publish them. Um, somebody else probably 
proofread it if that's the case. I don't know. I wasn't there. What I do know is that what was published, some of the things I've read, and some of the things I've seen, they're they're dangerous. They uh, one minute he says something about what's going on in UX, and then he'll make this really flippant data-related statement. Oh, and for the last year, hiring has been like this. And then other people were reading these and coming on social media and saying things like, wow, the stuff he's saying, it's really fantastic. And he has data. I'm a doctoral candidate. Uh, Data is at the core of what PhDs do. And your data has to be solid in order to get through the process. If there's anybody who knows something about data and data integrity, I'm not talking about data from from a data an, uh, an analyst or somebody like that, a data specialist. I'm talking about data that's presented in a written in a written piece. Uh, when somebody just says something about that and then use the word trend, and the word trend is applying to what happened over the course of the last year, that's not a big trend. That's not something might be trending, but it has to be happening for a longer period of time, pretty much to be referred to as a trend. It's there. There is a lot of things that are happening in these articles that I question. I can't embrace it. And one minute there's a statement with a with a flippant reference to a time frame, and then next thing you know, there's another similar statement. That's made, and I can't even really say it's a similar statement, so let me rephrase that. It's not really a similar statement. When he made statements about seasoned UXers and how they were treating new UXers, I have yet to, to witness it. I have yet to see any real evidence of that. I have yet to talk to anybody, and I know a lot of new UXers. There's a lot, a lot of new UXers listen to this podcast, and nobody... I don't know anybody who's experienced that. So one minute he's presenting supposed data, and it's not really, it wouldn't really qualify as data. If I did something like that and put it in my in my dissertation, they would ball it up and throw it at me and tell me to, to start over. You can't say things, you can't make flippant statements like that. Then he turns around and makes a statement about what what's going on in the senior US community, but he doesn't make, he doesn't even make the flippant reference to any data because it's just something that that ironically the statements that are made happen to be popular amongst people who buy, who buy into the the UX boogeyman mindset who thinks that we're trying to keep all the new UXers out and all this other kind of stuff that nobody's doing anywhere people just say that because they want to they want a scapegoat they want somebody that they can make to be the bad guy they want to generate some type of pity from someone, so they make these things up. They cry wolf, and and when you cry wolf, and you know good and well nothing that nothing you're talking about really exists, that's pretty problematic, wouldn't you say? So there's these are some of the things I've seen. Uh, a lot of the articles I do know about this also. A lot of the articles focus on AI. Uh, I, and I, if I remember correctly, he also said that we have a sense of urgency around AI. There's more of a sense of urgency about the gross lack of ethics and character assassination in UX than it is about AI. AI is nowhere near being ready for prime time. Baymart Institute 
released a piece about a week ago where they were talking about the 80% error rate in some of the work that AI does related to UX. 80% sense of urgency? Let those people go back to the drawing board. The people behind AI need some, some integrity and some ethics. And until they embrace integrity and ethics, the product, the AI product, is not going to be able to deliver what any of us want or can even use without fear, without any sense of anxiety, because people are so busy trying to race to market that they're and they're playing this terrible MVP game and V no longer means viable. People just rushing things out and they think that they're meeting some great demand. Hey, AI, great idea. But how about we get it ready for prime time first? How about we make sure it actually meets needs? And, and no matter the best AI will be nothing more than a tool. So let's keep that in mind. Figma's a tool. Envision's a tool. Adobe XD's a tool. Photoshop is a tool. You keep naming them. Tools, tools, tools. And the user of the tool, the holder of the tool, has greater power than the tool. The tool just vaults us forward. But if we don't have things in place and then we just pick up a tool, so we're not evaluating the tool for its true viability and it is running off. It, the, the whole thing is a joke right now. It'll be sometime before AI can be used with confidence. Truth be told. So that's what I think about those articles. I have no problem being on the record saying this. And I would not be surprised to find out somebody later you find out that this stuff is being written by AI because he's rolling out too many at one time Two, It's just really, really strange. There's a lot of strange things about it, but I'm not buying into it. And I, I will not have missed anything because I didn't buy in to it. So I'm not worried about that either. That's how I, somebody asked me about it. This is how I feel about it. This is where I stand and, and I don't need any crutches. So I'm fine. I will keep my eye on AI. I will continue observing. I will continue learning different things about it. But right now I don't need AI to help me do my job anyway. So it's not, it's not anything that I need. I, I didn't go and build a bunch of skill to go and grab a crutch. And, and, and a lot of people are afraid of AI because they're concerned it's going to take their job. If you actually bring something to the table, AI is not going to replace you. AI is going to replace Checklist-oriented tasks. That's what AI will replace. Checklist-oriented tasks that don't that don't really call for any critical thinking and any academic thinking. And by academic, I mean questioning everything and having that. It's 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 a different way to say critical thinking, and it's a different type of critical thinking. But it's really I'm not going to go down that that rabbit hole here tonight. I just leave it there. For now, it's academic thinking. Some when people when they hear you say academic, they think you're talking about something that's going on in academia. No, it's the type of thinking, the reason why we go to academia, so that we can develop that, so we can come out and be sharper when it comes to critical thinking. I I wish that class was required for everybody. It surely should be required for everybody in UX because if you don't have your critical thinking skills, you're not going to be able to thrive in the discipline today. So that is it. That's the potpourri. I thought it was going to be shorter. It wasn't. But hey, you know, as long as we, we're sharing something that's going to help vault people forward, that's all that really matters. But that is all the time we have for today, folks. So until next time, this is Darren Hood, the host of 
the world of UX podcast, wishing everyone all the best. And until next time, happy UXing, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.